Welcome to Hidden Headlines, the good news, the God news, the stuff no one in the secular media talks about. I'm your host, Brian Sussman. Now, coming up, we're going to be hearing from a good friend of mine, Dr. Charlie Self. Dr. Charlie Self is a PhD history. He's also a theologian with the Acton Institute, and he also works for a uh, denomination, which will go unnamed at this time, but it's an evangelical nomination, and uh, he is in the front office, so to speak. Dr. History is going to be along to talk about how Donald Trump has been skewered by the media for his participation or the lack thereof in the George H.W. Bush funeral, particularly when the Apostles' Creed was read. So we'll get into that controversy coming up in just a moment in an interview with Dr. History. We'll also talk to Dr. History about a story in the news that is absolutely bizarre. Again, these stories in hidden headlines can all be found at briansussman.com. Just go to my blog and you will see the stories like this one. Psych professor claims Virgin Mary was Me Too'd. So everyone's familiar with the Me Too movement. Um, <laughs> it's gone out of control. And here we have a guy. I don't know if, if he was just playing the role of provocateur and he wanted to make a name for himself for a day. If that was the case, he did it. He did it. So this is a Twitter user, Dr. Eric Sprankle. He bills himself as a associate professor of clinical psychology and sexual studies in Minnesota. He tweeted, the virgin birth story is about an all-knowing, all-powerful deity impregnating a human teen. There is no definition of consent that would include that scenario. Happy holidays. In other words, this guy's trying to claim that God caused Mary to become pregnant against her will. Dr. Sprankle further tweeted, the biblical God regularly punished disobedience, the power difference, deity versus mortal, and the potential for violence, saying no negates her yes. To put someone in this position is an unethical abuse of power at best and grossly predatory at worst. Well, as I write at briansussman.com in the blog, uh, Sprankle needs a little history lesson. So if we turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, you can do that by going to the blog. There's the story, which is a real account, I believe, of the angel coming to Mary, telling her she was going to give birth to this son of God. And if you read closely, Mary consents. She consents. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled to me. Then the angel left her. Sometimes it just takes opening up the Bible and giving it a read. Anyway, that's our lead story <laughs> at briansussman.com. Another story in the news, Veggie Tales. My kids were raised on Veggie Tales. This is the cartoon series, which it's brilliant. They, they use little vegetables who are cartoon characters to illustrate Bible stories. It's pretty cool. So again, my state of California, uh, let us go to Cal State San Marcos down in Southern California. I'm up here in Northern California. They're in Southern California. At the uh, Cal State University, San Marcos, they just had their annual whiteness forum, annual whiteness forum. And uh, one of the participants said that VeggieTales is dangerous, it promotes racial stereotypes, and is racist. 
Uh, one of the things that uh, they're saying is that <laughs> because the evil characters are non-white, this whole operation is racist. Can I tell you something? I don't know that anybody's white in this thing, unless there's a cauliflower character. The, the, the heroes are, are a tomato and a cucumber. A tomato is red, a cucumber is green. Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber. Their tagline in every episode is, remember kids, God made you special and he loves you very much. Okay, that's racist. <laughs> um. Uh, Apparently, this uh, one, the participant who thought this is all racist, and she, she says also because the evil characters sound ethnic or maybe Latino, and the good characters all sound white. Now, I've watched enough episodes to know even the, the good characters have accents, but this is all comedy. It's a cartoon. <laughs> but because these vegetables are speaking about the Bible... Uh, it's racist. Another story on my blog has to do with what a concept in God we trust in our schools. So a week after the school massacre in Parkland, Florida, you had grief-stricken students um, demanding some kind of action at their state capitol. And Representative Kimberly Daniels took to the floor to promote a measure that she said had been inspired by God when she said God spoke to her in a dream. So I'm not doubting any of that to be true, because I do believe God speaks to us in dreams. It's sort of his secret language, if you will. But she said, God is the light, and our schools need light in them like never before. She's a Jacksonville, Florida Democrat. She said, it's not a secret that we have some gun issues that need to be addressed, but the real thing that needs to be addressed are issues of the heart. So her proposal ensuring every Florida public school student is educated in a building where in God we trust, which is, by the way, the national motto and the state, Florida, the state of Florida motto, is prominently posted. The bill was passed and signed into law. Listen, I think this is a beautiful thing to acknowledge that we don't trust in mammon. We don't trust in the flesh. We don't trust in capitalism. We trust ultimately in God. And just to have that reminder on a building is significant. It's, it's symbolic, of course, but it's, it's, it's so important to acknowledge this. So uh, I, I am so happy for the people of Florida and their representatives on both sides of the aisle making such a stand because, again, I live here in California. This would never, ever happen. Um, another story, we're going to be talking about this next week on Hidden Headlines, but this has to do with, uh, what, I think it's the largest Christian university, private Christian school in the country. It's Azusa Pacific University in Southern California, and uh, I have a son who attended that school. I have, uh, uh, I, I have friends who work at the school as, as professors, and I have a dear, dear friend of mine who is on the board, or should I say, was on the board. 
Um, there are actually two members of the board of trustees of this major evangelical Christian liberal arts university in Southern California who have resigned. Uh, they contend the institution has drifted from its foundation and its mission. And um, they believe that it's even drifted from its initial statement of faith and the Bible itself. So these two guys, again, one is a buddy of mine, Dave Diaz. He's a Sacramento area business executive and just one of the most upstanding Christian men you will ever meet. And the other is a gentleman I I don't know, but I'm going to meet because we're going to inter- do this interview for next week's uh, Hidden Headlines. His name is Raleigh Washington. He's a prominent pastor back east, and he's known for his leadership in, remember, the Promise Keepers movement? So they were both on the board of trustees of Azusa Pacific, and they submitted letter, letters of resignation. Um, the reason for doing this, and, and in the case of uh, Raleigh Washington, uh, he'd been a trustee of Azusa Pacific for 15 years. But he wrote that he had consistently confronted the board over the previous six years with abundant evidence that the administration and a substantial portion of the faculty were promoting a progressive ideology that clashed with the institution's statement of faith and core principles. So, again, I, I think we're seeing this a lot at Christian institutions across the country where they're willing to compromise a bit. Why? Uh, to cater to the political correctness of the day. So Washington told my friends at WorldNet Daily, an organization that I've got uh, deep connections with, that members of the board at Azusa Pacific, quote, have admitted that virtually everything that they're saying is true. So what are they saying to be true? Well, how about this? Azusa Pacific University was in the news uh, this past fall because amid lobbying by an LGBT advocacy group on campus, the university's administrative board approved the elimination of the university's policy barring students from engaging in romanticized same-sex relationships. The slope that some of these universities are going down in, in order to cater to political correctness, in order to seem maybe more... Um, more open and less inclusive, or I should say more open and inclusive as opposed to exclusive. And it's very troubling. Uh, When you start making compromises or even excuses for what God's word says, that's a dangerous path to go down. And I think that by doing what these gentlemen did, resigning from their post, one, they're sending a message and two, it just it tells me that these men are authentic Jesus followers. I want authenticity. That's what I want. And I believe God wants authenticity as well. So you can read further about that on the blog at briansussman.com. Also, another story in the news has to do with Chick-fil-A. Uh, Chick-fil-A, it's, they keep a nice, clean restaurant, tasty food, helpful employees. The company's been criticized in the past over CEO Dan Cathy's views concerning marriage, specifically gay marriage. Um, so, so now you have Ryder University, Ryder University, asking students earlier this year what fast food chain they would like to see on campus. They circulated a survey, and it became clear the students were craving Chick-fil-A. <laughs> 
However, the university said, well, you know how these owners of this company feel about the LGBTQ community. And so they said, you're not coming to our university. So the chain pushed back, (laughs) saying the restaurant is merely providing food and doesn't have any agenda. Chick-fil-A is a restaurant company focused on food, service, and hospitality. And our restaurants and licensed locations on college campuses everywhere welcome everyone. See, they'll serve to you. It doesn't matter. You could be an atheist. You could be a this. You could be a that. (laughs) So kudos to Chick-fil-A. I also want to uh, encourage you, before we get to our interview with Dr. Charlie Self, Please make sure you take a listen to my latest podcast, The Barrel is My Church. This is episode three of the Another Chance podcast, and you're going to meet my longtime friend, Peter Manchester. Peter is a hilarious, self-effacing guy, and uh, man, does he have a story about how Jesus took over his life. So again, just go to briansussman.com, the Another Chance podcast, episode three. It runs about 45 minutes. I know you're going to enjoy it. Now, without further ado, I would like to bring in Dr. Charlie Self. Dr. Self is a longtime friend of mine. Um, he is with a major denomination in the front office. Actually, he's the chief of history for this denomination. Um, he's also a part of the Acton Institute, which is... Um, They're a group of very brilliant, thoughtful theologians from all denominations who come together to speak the truth. Dr. Charlie Self is with me right now. Of course, he's the gentleman I've referred to for years on my radio program as Dr. History, and he's online at drcharlieself.com. That's D-R, Charlie with an I-E, Self, S-E-L-F.com. Dr. Self, thank you for joining us on Hidden Headlines. I really appreciate it. Well, it's an honor to be with you, and I'm grateful that we can have a few minutes to unpack the things that so many people wouldn't be abreast of or be or or have access to. So, thank you for your service in bringing this to all of our attention. So, let's begin with what's happening with Donald Trump. It was it was really meant to be a beautiful moment. Here they are, all at the funeral of George H. W. Bush. You have Donald Trump and his wife Melania. Seated to their uh, seated to their left was Barack Obama and his wife Michelle, and then it's Bill and Hillary Clinton, and then uh, you had Jimmy Carter. So th- they're all there, and as this service unfolds, there is a moment in time where it's time to recite the Apostles' Creed, and the media is jumping all over Donald and Melania because they wouldn't participate in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. So could, could we begin with asking you, what is the Apostles' Creed? And, and I say that, Charlie, because you know me. I'm, I'm the guy raised in a secular Jewish household. I came to faith in Jesus, faith in Yeshua, without having ever gone to a church. So I'm not indoctrinated in this stuff. So help us out, please. Well, the Apostles' Creed originates uh, somewhere in the middle of the second century as a consensual statement of faith. And the good news about this piece is that these church mothers and fathers were trying to uh, bring together the variety of scriptures in the New Testament and say, what, what is the center, what's the circumference of Christian belief that outside of this we can't call it Christian anymore? So the Apostles' Creed does have some ancient roots, and it's also in response to all kinds of crazy teachings out there. So that's what creeds are. They're statements that seek to be 
biblical in often in response to people who are going kind of off kilter. Okay, so the Apostles' Creed, biblical principles for the most part. I know you have a couple things to say regarding that, but it's not as if you can find this creed in the New Testament itself, right? Correct. The New Testament has little mini-creeds in 1 Corinthians 15, in Romans chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, um, other places that are summaries of what is the core of the gospel uh, in terms of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and that our salvation rests on that event. Okay, so the Apostles' Creed... I, we should probably also point out, it wasn't written by the apostles either, was it? No, these are the successors of the apostles saying, this is our best understanding of the teaching that's been passed on. Uh -huh. The good news about it is that there is real physical relational connection between the origins of this creed and the teachings of the apostles, the people who put it down. So they're saying, this is our best summary of what is the essence of the Christian faith. So Donald and his wife, they don't participate in reciting this creed. Um, before we get into that, I have a couple other questions for you. Are there parts of the creed, again, you, one of your degrees is in theology. You have worked for a major denomination for many, many years. It would be considered an evangelical denomination. So Dr. History, is there anything in the creed that doesn't necessarily sit well with you? Well, the, the entire creed is excellent. There's one little phrase. After it says that he was buried, it says, some versions say he descended into hell or he descended to the dead. Well, certainly he was buried in a tomb, but that is actually a 5th or 6th century addition to what is the essence of New Testament teaching, is that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And people began to speculate what happened in between Good Friday and Easter. Well, the answer is actually in the Gospels itself, when Jesus turns to the repentant thief and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. So upon Jesus' death, his spirit is with God, his body's in the tomb, and then Easter morning is a preview of all believers' future as body and spirit come together in perfection, and in Jesus we see a preview of our future. So that's, and I'm not trying to, you know, be too critical of the marvelous people that carried on this creed, but that's the, that's the only clause that I find uh, not as substantive as the rest of it. Now, there is also in the Apostles' Creed, um, we're speaking, by the way, with Dr. Charlie Self on Hidden Headlines, in the Apostles' Creed, there is also that line where it speaks of the Catholic Church, and it's not Catholic with a capital C, it's uh, a lowercase c. Now, I understand this to mean the universal church, not necessarily the Catholic denomination, correct? And that's how it has always been understood, because this is one creed, along with the Nicene Creed of 381, the, 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 those two creeds are universal. And so the four marks of the church from the second century were unity, or one, holiness, Catholicity, or universality, and apostolic, or connected with the message of the apostles. Those are the marks of true Christianity. And of course, later you have developments with Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, mm -hmm. Churches of the East, and uh, later Protestant developments, of course. So those are all uh, branches of the tree, but this is, this is absolutely at the root of it. Would you consider me to be too radical and maybe going a little too far? If I were at that church service, I wouldn't have recited this creed. 
first of all, I, I wouldn't have known it well enough to recite it because I wasn't raised in a church. But even if I saw it on print, I would say, you know, coming out of my mouth as, as a Jewish guy who now believes in Jesus, I'm not even going to utter the words Catholic Church because there are too many negative connotations to a Jewish person who might be seeing that come from my lips, even though I know it means universal church. Would you get on my case for saying, Brian, I think you're going a little too far here. Well, first of all, I don't get on anybody's case for what they do or don't do in a service because God alone is the judge of anyone's heart. I would want to spend more time with you uh, persuading you to join in with Jewish and Gentile Christians of all eras uh, who have recited that creed. In fact, the folks who formulated the first bits of this were mostly Jewish, and then increasingly in the second and third century, increasing numbers of non-Jewish people obviously came to faith in Messiah Jesus. Okay, so, so what year, again, the Apostles' Creed was, uh, what year did you say that was? Prob- probably its origins are somewhere between uh, 130 and 150 A.D. So my gosh, they would have, right, it would have been a, a, a large percentage would have been Jewish believers. Correct. In fact, it's interesting that um, the the final Jewish rebellion against the Roman Empire occurred with a false messianic figure leading right. an armed revolt. And and at in 135, uh, there was a huge dispersal, and 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 Jews were kicked out of the Holy Land. In fact, that's when the Romans gave it the name Palestine, which is a we'll have, we'll have to come back and give a whole history of the Middle East here mm-hmm. because uh, this is this is Eretz Israel. This is this is Judah, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're scattered. But uh, you know, tensions between Jewish and Gentile Christians are just are just part of what happens. And the good news is, the Scriptures give very clear instructions for Gentiles to honor the Hebraic Jewish history that brought Messiah to our planet, and to honor the morality and majesty of the Hebrew Scriptures. And our Jewish friends were taught to receive. Gentiles as equal sisters and brothers without circumcision or dietary restrictions, but a common morality and faith. So what you're saying is, Brian, lighten up. <laughs> uh, I would say lighten up, but I'm also going to say I understand why, why, a, why a Jewish person would not, uh, would not enjoy putting the word Catholic verbally. I, I understand that, especially since religious anti-Semitism has its origins in the in the fourth, fifth, and sixth centuries, right. in both Catholic and Orthodox Church, right, and yet at the same time, we know to this day there are many wonderful, authentic Christians who are Catholic. I, I'm not denying of, of that course. at all. Right. Of course. Okay, so now I, I I have to ask you about some other things. We 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 dove into this briefly in my secular radio show, but uh, you were you you threw out terms like Advent and Lent. And Dr. History, I've, I've been a follower of Jesus now for many years. I still get confused with Advent, Lent, as I've mentioned to you, because I don't see that those words in the Bible. Well, you also don't see Trinity in the Bible, and yet, and yet Christians believe that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. So it's, these are terms that came into use to be uh, obedient to what they see as the historical pathway in Scripture. So... Mm-hmm. Starting with, so Easter is absolutely the foundation of all uh, Christian holy days. There, it's an indisputable belief he rose from the dead. By the way, the, the Greeks and Latins disagreed on the date, which is why you have two different calendars. Um, but nonetheless, in the spring, Christ rose from the dead. With that as a center point, you go back to Good Friday, and you look at the passion of Jesus, 
And so over time, the church developed 40 days of preparation, of fasting, of prayer, of, of just the remembrance and celebration of what is the core of the faith. Now, Christmas and Advent took a little bit more time. In fact, the Christmas celebrations we talk about now weren't even in vogue in much of the West until the late 19th century. So, but the actual birth of Christ in terms of celebrating the Incarnation, God forever becoming a human being, one of us, and the Prince of Peace, this new era of salvation dawning, that's very ancient in Christian celebration. And so the four Sundays before Christmas are known as the season of Advent, the four weeks, which is this season of looking at the prophecies mm -hmm. of the Hebrew Scriptures, this season of looking at what, who Jesus is and what he promises. So Advent and Lent are positive things that Christians of every stripe have said, let's really honor God's activity in history. Now, there's lots of other stuff connected with all of these that are optional, that aren't, you know, aren't scripturally based mm -hmm. or are sort of matters of conscience. It's amazing. There are a lot of Messianic Jews, and the older I get, uh, the more I think I'm becoming like this. Uh, when our kids were younger, I was the guy that went all out for Christmas to the point of being ridiculous. I had Santa flying off the roof, and we know Santa's, you know, fake news. But we would just have fun with it. Um, but the older I get, I'm thinking, I can incorporate everything you just said about this wonderful season into Hanukkah. I really can do that. And, well, and a lot of Messianics do. are doing that now. Well, there's no reason for uh, Jewish believers in Jesus not to celebrate the great moment of Hanukkah. Gentiles can certainly join in. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no restriction, of course. If I walk into a Messianic congregation, they're going to welcome me. So Hanukkah is a tremendous celebration. Jesus himself honored it and yeah. celebrated it in the Gospel of John. And so, um, in fact, Jesus refers to the moments surrounding Hanukkah as an important part of future prophecy. So this is very much part of what uh, Christians should honor and celebrate. Um, I would include being able to celebrate the Sundays of Advent and Christmas, and we can do without some of the extraneous activity as well. Dr. History with us on Hidden Headlines. Okay, so Dr. Charlie Self, let me ask you about this other story in the news. <laughs> we, we're, we're, we've gone mad, I tell you. So we have a clinical psychologist and professor from Minnesota who took to Twitter in the name of the Me Too movement to essentially accuse God of not getting permission from Mary before impregnating her. Now, this guy clearly off his rocker. I don't know if he was just trying to be a provocateur, what his, what his motivation was, but could you ex please explain why this guy is off his rocker? Well, first of all, if you read the, the Nativity narratives well, Mary is a willing participant. The angel appears to her and says, look, the Lord's cho chosen you. He's going to overshadow you. You're going to find yourself pregnant. He comes and announces what is yet to come, and Mary demonstrates her humility, amazement, awe, and with her song, her prophetic streak as well, and says, be it done to me according to your word. In other words, Mary is a willing, humble participant in this moment, in this moment of salvation. So, so he's off the wall when, it, when he's accusing God of somehow imposing something. The other thing that I think people need to notice, especially in the Gospel of Luke, is that God is not some kind of patriarchal, uh, you know, oppressor, just the opposite. It is women who are the recipients 
of the first revelation of the Incarnation with both Mary and Elizabeth, and women are the first witnesses of the resurrection. So Jesus is the ultimate egalitarian. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate one for human dignity, male and female. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Dr. History, thanks for spending a little time with us on the Hidden Headlines podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, it's just an honor to be with you, and thank you for letting me be part of this conversation. And there he goes. And with that, this concludes Hidden Headlines. Thanks for joining me. I'm Brian Sussman. Make sure you share this podcast with others. And for all the news that the secular media won't talk about, don't forget briansussman.com. Thanks for joining me.